Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mindful Initiative podcast. Today we are very very fortunate to have amongst us uh, Professor Mahadevan who is a professor of operations management at IIM Bangalore. He is a Sanskrit and Vedantic scholar and was the founder vice chancellor of Chinmaya Vishwa Vidyapeeth which is a university for Sanskrit and applied Indian knowledge and tradition. that person who is equipped with ability to handle the dualities of life ability to handle this apparatus called mind can only find something happening in a very fruitful way in the long run so we need education systems which help the youngsters understand while we need to make a living we need to balance it with our passion then that life will be a life which is very interesting welcome professor mahadevan thank you so most of the interviews that i start with the very beginning uh, which starts with the upbringing of the person so if you can tell us a little bit about your upbringing and if spirituality had a place in your upbringing i was born in a i would say a village not a very small village but certainly a village somewhere down south in tamil nadu border of uh, Kerala I think that partly explains most of the upbringing because I grew there for the first uh, 11 years then I set out to slightly bigger cities and so on so in some ways I think that sort of an environment itself added in its own ways into the so called spirituality which is part of mind but in a very formal sense it's only when I went for my college education at college of engineering gindi chennai that my interest with spirituality began at the age of 17 i had a very interesting oriya friend who i used to teach him production engineering he'll teach me spirituality so i think that's where the seeds were laid then as i went to iit madras i did my masters and phd while those things were happening there was a parallel stream of spirituality i found some good masters in chennai i used to go to them and i used to learn whatever vedanta that i would wanted to Of course I started learning Sanskrit also as I was doing PhD my introduction to Sanskrit was very little but I think all these started growing in the last uh, 20 30 years it has grown as much as what it is today which seems to have taken me on this path well thank you that was a good introduction and it's a good way to get into some of the burning questions that I have for you I don't think there is anyone in India or I I can very easily say in the world who is an expert in bhagavad gita and its application in leadership and management like you today and uh, your journey began for spirituality not just in your childhood but at a little later age and in your previous talks in your interviews you have talked about that we need bhagavad gita more today than any time in previous history can you tell us why that is the case okay see the central theme in bhagavad gita just look at it here is a great leader who just refuses to fight and uh, he has all good reasons not to fight chapter 1 of bhagavad gita so beautifully brings it out and something happens between him and krishna some conversation happens and at the end of the conversation this warrior who wanted to run away from the battlefield comes back to the center of action i think life is all about being part of the society 
being part of uh, activities nobody can even uh, in our scriptures in our vedantic text also you will find even a yogi cannot run away from activity his mental disposition may be different therefore this is a text which created a context it inspired a person who thought he should run away from action and brought him back to the center piece of an arguably a tough action therefore there must be something very very interesting for every one of us this was the starting point for me and i think i am very convinced now bhagavad gita is all about action not about no action it's all about meaningfully contributing to the society and in the process of doing it also evolving oneself to greater states of oneself that's why i think bhagavad gita is very very important today because we have reached a situation today if i can quote adi shankaracharya's bhashya adi shankaracharya wrote a wonderful bhashya what bhagavad gita's popularity today was because of him he only wrote the first bhashya he wrote a 10 line preamble to it and the first line he says dividokto vedokto dharmah pravrutti lakshano nivrutti lakshanascha jagatah sthiti karanam he says the stability of the jagat critically rests on pravrutti and nivrutti and he said there is a balancing required between the two today we are little going out of that balance so all the more reason we need bhagavad gita and that's absolutely right there is there is an imbalance that's been created in the society and the setting of bhagavad gita is uh, if you let me uh, talk about the setting of bhagavad gita it is in a war field where arjuna and krishna are facing the kauravas and the first shloka of bhagavad gita says dharmshetra kurukshetra that that the battle is happening in our minds and depending upon whose commentary you, you read now we talk about war a lot because it's related to bhagavad gita and war in my view is very extreme of most cases and is there a way that we can still talk about bhagavad gita and be a little bit more mellow because when we talk about extremes and wars it has started percolating in our society when you look at our education system when you look at our roads when you look at most things in businesses everything is fought like the art of war like what sun tzu did and bhagavad gita and those are the examples that are given and if we take them as the foundation or the basis it results in mental instability in many cases right so how do we find that balance if what we are learning from is that war very good question because uh, i think this misconception must be clarified bhagavad gita has 700 shlokas if you leave chapter 1 which is 47 shlokas in which arjuna was trying to say why he doesn't want to fight a war and so on if we take it out you have 653 shlokas if i am right the word war must have come only three times so first of all the context for the conversation was war the subject matter of discussion had nothing to do with war so i want to clarify this misconception and how do you know that that's why i'm saying in 653 shlokas you will never find a reference to a war at all there is a 38 shloka in chapter 2 in which he talks about war but in a very different way so i think it's only three or four times he has spoken about war therefore this idea that bhagavad gita the insights of bhagavad gita comes only out of our understanding of a setting of war is not correct it was just a starter 
I think it was only an excuse to start this whole conversation between Arjuna and Krishna. There are phenomenally wonderful things about life which are being spoken about. Because the problem of Arjuna was not war. The problem of Arjuna was handling himself. So the subject matter, although it started with not fighting war and so on, the entire discussion has nothing to do with war. Therefore, I think we should take this out of our mind. Thank you. That's a good way for people who just take that as the foundation that, you know, when we are in situations which cannot be handled, this is where we apply these things. Now let's come to our day-to-day living where the application is more required and, and more needed. And you've talked in depth in, in past about many problems that we face when people work, whether it's stress, which is induced because of balancing of life within work and family, whether it's something which is unrelated to people as well. And you talk about how the lessons from Bhagavad Gita can help us overlook them and create some sort of a stability in our life and, and bring calm and peace. So we are able to do those things. Can you shed a little bit more light on, on that for us, please? Yes. The first one, in fact, Bhagavad Gita is full of such ideas, as you have mentioned. Let's take the first idea which came as soon as Krishna started speaking. In fact, to put things in perspective, whole of chapter 1, the 11 shlokas in chapter 2 are all simply what Arjuna was saying. Krishna spoke from the 12th, 11th shloka in chapter 2. Look at the third shloka from there, 14th shloka. He introduces a beautiful concept called Titiksha. He says, Matra sparsha kaunteya sitoshna sukadukkadaha he introduces a very, very important concept for life. He says, as long as we are in touch with the outside world, through our sensory organs, he says, Sitoshna, Sukha Dukkha, it will blow hot and cold. It will sometime be good, Sukha, sometime it will be Dukkha, you know, pressure and pain. So he introduces this concept very early in Bhagavad Gita. And he says, life is a roller coaster ride. This is a very important principle for us today. Of course, we all aspire to be happy. We aspire to do things so that good results come to us. But by merely aspiring to be only happy and only good things happening, we may not be in a position to handle if something else happens. I think a very important life principle is while aspiring for good things, our ability to prepare ourselves to take the pluses and minuses of life. So this is called Titiksha. He introduces this concept at 40 places in Bhagavad Gita. Again and again he talks about it. This is one example. I'll give you another example. Chapter 6 of Bhagavad Gita is all about Dhyana Yoga. There's a beautiful shloka, 6th shloka in chapter 6. It says, Uddharet Atmana Atmanam Na Atmanam Avasadayet Atmaiva Banduhu Atmanam Atmaiva Ripuhu Atmanaha He says, mind, you lift yourself, you have to use your vehicle or an apparatus called mind. It all depends on how do you use it. He says, Atmaiva Banduhu If you know how to handle your mind, the mind can be your friend. If you know how to handle your mind, the mind can be your enemy. So these are very, of course, I'm just 
quoted one shloka in both the occasions there is so much of explanation behind it in the shlokas that follow in other words there are lots of such principles that we need in life because as we step out into the world of activity that person who is equipped with ability to handle the dualities of life ability to handle this apparatus called mind can only find something happening in a very fruitful way in the long run so gita is about all that there are many examples i just quoted a couple of them i think that brings me to something which is very close to me we look at the world in ways that uh, the problems of the world spur up and we see this is the issue what according to you is happening right and good in today's world that we can build on so that we have a better future not just for the next generation but you know many generations after and the reason why i ask that question is because everywhere we go or most places where we go we hear a lot of negatives you know whether it's the news whether it's the internet whether it's our colleagues so i want to focus on the positives because there is so much good also happening in the world and i i want to know your opinion about it absolutely i think uh the media for reasons known to them and for maybe certain reasons it might be very convenient for them to bring issues which generate a sort of an urgency so a lot of negative ideas are being brought out but i firmly believe there are enough good things happening there are enormous amount of inspiring things happening around us so therefore then what is the issue here the issue is a matter of perspective it also talks about it it's a matter of perspective i find there are at least two three different types of people as one set of people who look at hear about these negative things and say oh what is happening in the world has become much poorer place and so on they are according to me cynical if everybody sees that all the three sees it but the first person takes a view oh world has become not a really something good to live and all that so that's a cynical attitude there's a second person whom if i have to use a nearest definition a karma yogi mm-hmm. what does he or she do he or she looks at all these because everybody looks at it it all you know is in the eye of the beholder the training of geeta will change them and what does this person do this person will say all this happens but as a true karma yogi what do i do there are situations every moment situations unfold in life for every one of us the critical question is how do you react to those situations so the karma yogi says here is a situation these situations demand a certain kind of a response and that response to the best of my capability i will be able to to the best of my capability and i will spontaneously react to that situation a person who leads life like that while he or she continues to see a lot of these negative things at the end of the day he at the end of every work day at the end of every day we spend this person goes back with a great sense of satisfaction he gets a good night's sleep i think that's very important i think negative issues do happen but there are enough number of inspiring things that are happening around us so the kind of training the kind of eye that we have the kind of perspective we develop can make all the difference and i think that's what some of these scriptures also train us when we introspect a little bit more on what they are talking about I think that good night sleep is the most important thing and if you're able to sleep without even thinking that 
there's anything wrong that has been done i think when you wake up the next morning you'll be charged to get moving again and i think that charging things makes me think about the younger generation people who are going to college and and makes me think about the chinmaya vishwavidya peet which you would have found a vice chancellor of now you have talked about this also that in india we are we are creating lot of quantity of people who are going to higher education but the quality is lacking and there is not one issue that i can bring up that you know that we can fix this or that but what are some of the things according to you that we can start working towards or some action has already started and maybe you can talk about your involvement with shridhipit as well uh, what are some of the things that we can do so that we start working on quantity as well as quality yes i think uh, the higher education space in this country suffers from some of the issues that you are talking about see the critical issue lies here partly because we wanted to grow faster as an economy we wanted to find more jobs and so on i'm sure there these are some of the reasons our higher education today in this country has created institutions which are like a cookie cutter everybody has to become an engineer everybody after that has to become an mba and maybe you know get into a management job and so on this is fundamentally an antithesis to the indian thinking which is says let thousand flowers blossom what does that mean it comes from our psychological construct which came from sankhya yoga that every one of us have a prakriti vishesha each one of us is very unique indian prescription is not all are same but all are unique all are same as a different meaning all are unique as a different meaning so the question now is if each one of us have something unique in us it's only that education which is able to number one recognize that number two show the mirror to the student and say hey this is some of the nice things about you which you perhaps not thought about and thirdly create an ambience a possibility in which you can actually further that ideas now i must tell you the founding of the chinmaya vishwavidya peet prior to that i had a very striking experience one day i went to my one of my relatives house there was a huge painting 9 feet by 12 feet of god asharatha sharada which was being done it was about 80% complete so beautiful say so ask my relative who is the artist so beautiful he smiled at me and said this is a 9 month old work it's already 9 months down the person who is painting this is a software engineer in infosys he comes at 7 o'clock every evening and works on this till 11 o'clock in the night and then he goes home then i smiled at him back and i told him it is this painting which keeps his infosys job it is not the infosys job which is keeping the painting the point i am trying to make is people must know their passion people must nurture their passion of course we need a living so the central theme in chinmaya vishwavidya peet was we want to give inputs for living which other universities are doing we also wanted to give inputs for life and what i mean by inputs for life helps the students understand what their passions are grow it a little bit so that the stress burnout all that can be internally handled with the built in mechanism 
So this boy comes and does painting for three hours. All his problems in office is gone. He has a good night's sleep. Next day is a bundle of energy. So we need education systems which help the youngsters understand while we need to make a living, we need to balance it with our passion. Then that life will be a life which is very interesting. So our the way we built our courses, the way we designed our curricula, sort of balance between inputs for living and inputs for life. I think that's how we must change our education. I am sure it will happen. And we are saying liberal arts. I am only saying let us get liberating science. We should, we should because Vishnu Purana says that Savidya ya vimuktaye. Education must liberate an individual and bring the best out of them. I think we will be on our way. We take a little time. We will do it and that's how we should address some of the issues that our youngsters are going through. It is high time we look at this cookie cutter business because that can provide only quantity but not quality. We need to work on both. That's absolutely correct and lovely, lovely thoughts about that. And I think that takes me a little bit further back in, in your life. Uh, you have a lovely family, you have a daughter who's doing her PhD and, and I have happened to meet her and Mrs. Mahadevan as well. And... I think the kind of values that you have, you and Mrs. Mahadevan have really inculcated in her are an example for many, many of us. We have a very young daughter as well. And I've spoken to you and Mrs. Mahadevan about uh, some of the things that we could do. And we were just talking about the college education system, but all this starts to happen much earlier in life. And it's something that young parents should start noting and, and start making a difference in their children's life, not just their life. So what are some of the things that, uh, or some of the suggestions or thoughts that you may have for young parents or some people who have friends or families who have young kids in them, the kind of value system that they should bring in so they live a more moralistic life? This is again a very, very important issue. I have been talking about it at times and good that you brought it also to the discussion here. In Bhagavad Gita chapter 3, there is a beautiful shloka. It talks about leadership, of course. It says, Yadyad acharati sreshtaha, Thadyad evaitare janaha, Sayat pramanam kurute lokastadanuvartate. To me, this shloka eminently applies to young parents with a child which is just growing up. Whatever little I have understood, I think between the age of 2 and 6, most of the values of the child are set. Even before they step into the world of morality and ethical challenges and so on. And how does it happen? I think the child very, very intensely watches. Just because the child doesn't have the vocabulary to speak or it, it even sets out to say something, we cannot make an assumption it has not made up its mind, it has not understood what life is. I think the two parents, I keep saying this, the best part of bringing a next generation of family is when the child is between the age of two and six. That's the time that if the two parents can enact minute by minute this perfection of life that is possible by way of values, the way they speak. I've seen in, I go for some other family gatherings, social gatherings, family functions, there is a two, three-year-old child uses a certain kind of bad words. And very soon I find the mother or the father is actually doing it. These are very deep things which get ingrained in the child. So I think the suggestion is very simple. 
for that four years in our life per child if we can enact to them that this is what is the way to live we have invested for a lifetime very comfortably we can let the child go we'll be absolutely assured that the child will be full of values and moral and that we need to i think the parents play a phenomenal role now today in a situation of double income group families and so on we need to think how to do that we cannot ignore it we cannot push it under the carpet we should find the way of inspiring our kid as it grows we have invested for a generation i think that inspiration takes the central theme of the next question that i'm going to ask that in india one of the problems that i feel that we face is existence of role models and we consider people who are very high up as role models but their role models at every step and stage that i feel that people should look up to and because we are so divided as a society in terms of socio economic places how do we start getting these people who are doing some amazing things to be more of role models and show out to the world you know that they are doing good and it's not that good is not happening but people to look up to them as well not just look up at the top because to climb up to that moralistic ladder there are stages so if we keep looking at the top we lose sense of it uh, so i would love your insights on that first of all i agree with you that uh, we need lot more role models but i also want to clarify a few things a child which starts at the age of 2 to a grown up adult i don't know up to what age at every stage of our life we have role models there is no way of taking it out first we have to recognize that therefore the question is whether we make a conscious choice or not it becomes inevitable that for every individual there is a certain role model so first of all it is a very individualistic preference so therefore the only thing that we can do is to put in the front of an individual possibly a large set of possible role models depending upon the value system the kind of value congregation that has built into my psychology that particular individual will actually get attracted to a certain role model so i think while it doesn't take away the need to not look at role models it only accentuates the problem it emphasizes the need that we don't have to look for that role model who is at that highest level which of course at a certain level we might aspire to be i think we must be able to show a number of role models for a 2 year old child a 5 year old child and a mother and a school teacher when this child goes to the first standard may be a great role model whether we know it or not it may happen so i think there must be a conscious effort to bring it in front of our growing younger generation the more we bring a variety of role models the greater is the propensity that there is a value alignment and an inspiration that happens greater is the possibility that there is a small bit of a switchover that happens from one type of a role model to another right of a role model which are all very good today what is happening is the media is bringing a few handful of celebrities 
and seem to suggest they are the only role models very implicitly it is suggested it is not explicitly suggested when there is a festival a 16 year old uh, glamorous looking uh, actor she should come and bless all of us for a festival i mean by implicitly we are saying these are the people who matter in our life i think while media does its role i think as citizens as members of the family as members of the society we must be able to constantly bring more and more role models but must understand at the end of the day that the individuals are going to get aligned to a certain role model so we work on their values bring a variety of role models then the right role models are aligned over time and then they keep moving on that's that's how perhaps it should happen thank you so much i uh, we're getting towards the end of our discussion and of our time here so before we end i like to ask a few sort of a uh, uh, rapid fire questions if you're okay answering them and please do if you're uh, you move then welcome to pass them but i would appreciate if you would answer them let me try uh, yes so the first question is if there was one place in world where you would travel to what would that place be it will be my native place my native what is the name of the native place this is madurai madurai okay one childhood memory that sparks a joy in your life the days when in our village we used to celebrate our krishna janmashtami we had all principles of management within us between a 5 year old and a 8 year old uh, what does being mindful mean to you mindful means to me as a state of mind which is always uh, enriching which is very enthusiastic which is devoid of stress which is uh, all the time looking forward to be in the present not in the future or in the past if you happen to watch movies what if you can uh, think of uh, which would be your favorite movie right now i think i've passed that i am unable to imagine of any movie watching now right um and any songs that you can think of if not a movie uh, that you really like well ms subhalashmi some of the songs have profoundly influenced me raja ji the great uh, political architect actually made a lyrics of a song which ms subhalashmi used to play it's called kurayondru millai means there is there is nothing to be feel dissatisfied in life there's one of the wonderful songs which comes to my mind all the time can you hum a few lines from it kurayondru millai marai murti kanna kurayondrum illai kanna kurayondrum illai kanna beautiful what does that mean it looks at lord krishna and says oh lord krishna there's nothing about which i should be dissatisfied in life life is not something which has to be dissatisfied life is fullness for me beautiful that's a great way to end in our discussion and our conversation thank you thank you so much professor mahadevan for for being on our show enriching our memories and just helping us think more deeply about what we are doing and how we can be better citizens to the society thank you so much for being here thank you nitesh i really enjoyed uh, this conversation that we had in during the last 15 half an hour or so thank you thank you so much everyone for listening and tuning in to our show please remember to rate us on itunes or google or wherever you listen to your podcast thank you so much <laughs>